morning is going to be different. Um, I posted this week that I had a really, really powerful series of exchanges and encounters and movements of God in my life. And uh, it was kind of overwhelming and it was great. But then I kind of tried to get into sermon mode and it felt really uh, awkward and contrived. I just felt like God put so much on my heart. My impulse was, I think my church should hear this, even though I'm still processing it and I haven't wrapped my head or heart fully around it. Um, and I fought back and forth a little bit because I'm a real mind type and I want to do teaching and let's get into scripture. But I, I just felt in all kinds of different ways, God affirming, no, just go and share what I've done. And um, so this morning is really not a sermon proper. It's probably more of a testimony. And it's a, sometimes pastors don't give their testimonies to churches. They just kind of share stuff with their own little circle. But this, this is a bit more of a, a big tent sharing. So I kind of had a heart week, heart, soul, mind, and strength. It was a, a week of really powerful movements on a relational level. And so that, I think that's what this sermon's going to be. So you know how much of a mind type I am, so you can probably imagine how, on one level, uncomfortable this is for me, because my wheelhouse is teach, exposition. I don't like to tell a lot about myself. Let's get into the word. Um, but I really felt like God saying, this is important for your community to hear, probably important for me to process. So I'm going to kind of walk you through my week. These weeks are pretty unusual for me. And what I mean by that is, I, even as a pastor, even though I'm uh, kind of de- dedicated full-time to gospel ministry, and I'm in the Word, and I'm praying, and I'm ministering, I'm just like a regular Christian also, in that I'm not always having these mountaintop experiences of God. And this was one where there were quite a few, and I was not kind of prepared for them. And they happened back to back to back really quick. And so I'm going to kind of take you through the week and just kind of share things that, um, that kind of in keeping the Thanksgiving theme that I'm thankful for, that God really impressed in a new way on my heart, maybe gave me a bit more clarity about the kind of church I see us becoming, where we should be kind of putting our energy. So the first thing that I'll, I'll say is I knew something was up on Sunday evening because Sunday evening my mom, who had come to visit, she left uh, Sunday evening. It was her first time out here. So I hadn't seen her in about 18 months. And we had a great visit. It was totally what we hoped it would be. It was very kid-centric. Everything kind of revolved around the kids. And there wasn't a lot of kind of one-on-one catching up, reflecting about lifetime. But it was still a really, really good visit. It was great to see her interact with her grandkids. And uh, it had just been a really nice visit. And on Sunday evening, when she was leaving, when she was getting ready to go out the door, I just started to cry. And I wasn't kind of prepared for that. I kind of knew that I missed her. And so when the tears, my eyes started welling up, it was kind of like, get it together, Jeff. <laughs> I didn't like being emotionally vulnerable in front of my own family. And then it started streaming down my face. And then my mom started crying, and that made it worse. And then we hugged, and um, she's not one for long goodbyes, so we kind of ripped the Band-Aid off, and she went out to the car, and I closed the door, and my wife was there, and I just almost collapsed into her arms, and I just started totally sobbing. Um, She kind of, I don't think she could hold me, so she had to bring me over to the couch (laughs) and sat me down on the couch and just let me cry for a long time, and I I just was, and it wasn't like that sniffly cry, like it was like snot-faced, 
pouring tears out and uh, heaving, trying to catch my breath. I'm amazing my wife's still alive because it was like 240 pounds, just completely uh, uh, crushing her. And a lot of things went through my head. And, um, but I knew I was grieving. I knew there was a part of me that uh, this was an important time for me to cry over because um, as much as I've transitioned here in some ways, that was one element of my life that hadn't ever kind of come together emotionally for me, which is that how far away I am from my mom, how, uh, how close we are, how far away she is from her grandchildren. And so um, I know some kind of grieving mourning was happening, kind of the life I knew in a way that was very personal to me was ending, and I step into this new phase here in Nelson. Um, and I remember as I was crying, I just think this is so hard for me to just cry. Like I just remember trying to constantly get myself back together, pull it back together. And uh, I just felt like God was saying like, it's okay, it's okay. Like this is important for you to do. Like just cry. And, and I tried to do that. And, uh, and then kind of when the dust settled, I just felt um, there's a lot of peace. I felt... I felt like there's probably still more gro- uh, grieving and mourning to go through, but I felt like God was doing something. Something pretty significant had dislodged in my heart, in my mind, and uh, I was just started to pray about it that week. Now, the next day, uh, Heather and I left to go to uh, Canmore. The, our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church of Canada, puts on a pastor and spouse retreat every year. It's the first week of October and it's pretty short. It just kind of goes Monday night to Wednesday morning. But it was so, so great. And I'm really thankful for, to Rob Marsland especially to push me to go. It's at, it's at a time in our year, especially with four kids, where there's all kinds of reasons why the first week of October is not a good week to go away. Our kids are still settling into school. Ministry stuff is happening. And Rob really pushed me to go. And I talked to Jesse and Jason. They said, you got to go. It's a huge highlight. And then I went and Heather and I just had a really uh, powerful, great, restorative time there. Um, I definitely came away feeling like I had taken this massive intake of spiritual oxygen. And probably like a lot of you, you you're kind of doing stuff and you're moving through life and you sometimes don't recognize how tired you are or how in need you are of refreshment and encouragement. And with every day that went by there, I just felt like, God was filling my tank, and I didn't even know how empty it was in a lot of ways. Um, and I thought about the fact that, like, I'm really, really thankful. Um, well, first of all, I'll, I'll talk about, I know I have a little fill-in-the-blanks for the junior high kids, and they're like, where are your fill-in-the-blanks? They're not going to be on the screen, so you've got to listen. <laughs> my daughter's like, oh, I want that prize. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about more than four. I know I have four fill-in-the-blanks. If you, if you pick any four things that I say I'm thankful for, it totally counts. But the first one, that I think, to deal with my mom was, I'm really thankful for these unexpected moments of just tremendous grace. That's the way I felt, like having my wife hold me, crying, processing on different levels what I'd gone through, seeing, yeah. I just was such at peace, such grace, and it was a, this really powerful interruption of God into my kind of regular routine. And I just remember going to bed that night feeling so at peace and so thankful and so excited and just feeling like, kind of an intimacy and a closeness with God that I hadn't in a long time. And with the ECC, I thought, that's another thing I'm I'm really, really thankful for. And I probably don't say this enough up front. 
Um, we should all be thankful that we're part of the Evangelical Covenant Church of Canada, and I am very thankful to be a part of the Evangelical Ch Covenant Church of Canada. It's not a big denomination. There's 28 churches. You know, if, if you do the math, that means Balfour Junction and us are 10% of the whole <laughs> ECC. So it's pretty small. Um, but it is such a great denomination. And I know that in an age where denominations and church structures and bureaucracies are really poo-pooed and, and frowned upon and, and viewed with a lot of suspicion. It's amazing to be at that retreat and to be at different things that I've been at and just to have their leadership pouring into me. Um, I've never experienced that before from denominational leadership, and it was very humbling and very powerful. And to sit in a room with pastors and their spouses and to see people singing and worshiping together um, conversing, that was also very humbling too, because what you, what you realize after you become a pastor pretty quickly is that there are secret burdens that pastors carry that no one else has to carry, and no one else has a frame of reference for understanding. And the only um, uh, analogy that I could use is, you know that as a parent. There are things that you have to carry as parents. Your children, you can't, there's no even point telling your kids about it, because they don't have the capacity to understand. But there are things that you do as a, as a parent. There are burdens that you carry uh, there are vulnerabilities that you expose yourself to that other parents get because you're like, nah, I've been there, yeah, totally. But your children don't understand, and nor should they. Your job as a parent is to, is to, in a lot of ways, protect them from a lot of those things. And I had this moment where I was looking at all these people in this room and thinking, there, I just have so much respect for these people who have dedicated themselves and put themselves on the line for the gospel, loving their communities. Um, I had a... I had, mo I had all good news stories. I could, I could boast about you guys and how wonderful it's been for my family and how gracious you guys have been. That's not everyone's story as a pastor. And so to hear what, um, what some people have uh, chosen to absorb in and through their ministry and still love and serve Jesus is really, really powerful. Um, and just to kind of have my eyes open to like, oh, like that pastoral couple, like they've been in ministry for 20 or 30 years together. Like, it was just very humbling. I just had that sense of like, I am standing on the shoulders of giants. I'm here out of grace. And I have a lot to learn from people in this room. And I really did try and steal as much time from a wide variety of people as I could. One of the other things I'm really thankful for in and through the ECC is the Trellis Foundation. I don't know if that's the next slide or not. Is that the next slide, Tristan? You can go to it. Okay. Um, the Trellis Foundation is super cool. Our denomination used to have a a Bible college. It folded because of increasingly low enrollment, but they did something really smart. They said, we're going to sell everything. We're going to put all that money into a kingdom of God war chest. We're going to call it the Trellis Foundation. We'll just give the interest that it accrues every year to churches who want to do something to help move forward discipleship and, and impact their community. And so I think last year, the Trellis Foundation gave away $70,000 to Canadian covenant churches. So this is Canada only. There's 800 covenant churches in the States. There's only 28 here. Uh, but this is not a fund for all of the covenant. It's just a Canadian conference. So if you do the math, that ends up being about $2,000 per church. Some churches got more, some got less, depending on what they wanted to do. But I love this idea because it really challenged us to say, do you as a pastor, or is there someone in your church who has an idea, who has a vision for something, but money is, is honestly, it's the obstacle. That would cost 500. I don't know how we could do that. That would cost 1,000. That would cost 3,000. That would cost 5,000. This is what the Trellis Foundation is for. It's to give a leg up. It's to help get things off the ground and growing. 
And I say this to you to challenge our church, to say what is a way that maybe God has put something on your heart, maybe you've been putting it aside because you just think through the logistics involved in money or it's too big or other people don't get it. This isn't a fund about people getting it. This is a fund about you saying, this is what I have a heart to do. One church can apply for one thing. So I really uh, challenge you guys to say, begin praying about, is there something that we could be doing as a church? Because the Trellis Foundation, essentially the way I understand that is if, if you have an idea, it'll get funded. Sometimes they can't give all the money away because not enough ideas come in. Because people try and think of the biggest, best, most amazing ideas. It doesn't have to be that. It can be something very, very simple. We, we want to run a five-week art camp for kids as an outreach in our community. In the summer, we're going to hire someone and pay for all the supplies. We need $3,000. And the covenant's like, that's awesome. Check, here you go. The last Sunday of this month in October, they're challenging people to donate because they had someone new to the covenant come last spring who had never been a part of a covenant church, found out about Trellis, and this person said, this is amazing. I love this idea of a kingdom war chest just throwing stuff against the wall that tries to glorify God, and we'll see what works. And they said, I'll match any donation in October up to $25,000. And then I said, we'll give 20% of that money immediately distributed to the churches so that kids can go to Bible camp, because that's a huge value within the covenant church as well. And so on the last Sunday of this month, we're going to take up an extra offering, and I'll remind you about this next week. We'll take up an extra offering, because when you put $20 in that offering plate, that counts as 40. You put 50, that counts as 100. And that allows us to put that into the fund so that more interest is accrued, because more and more people are hearing about this and getting excited about it. You can also make personal donations at trellisfoundation.ca. It's tax receivable. It's super awesome. But I was so encouraged to be like, here's a denomination who instead of what is normally done, which is you've got to jump through a whole bunch of hoops f- to, in order for us to justify cutting you a check for 100 bucks. Here's Trellis saying, you don't have to have the whole plan. You don't need to see 10 steps ahead. What's this thing you want to try? It's a kingdom experiment. Awesome. We want to help you. We want to remove as many obstacles as possible. Heather and I were talking about it. We've just been so impressed by the Evangelical Covenant Church and the, the people that they have attracted and their leadership, it was just, it's been so, so, so awesome. Uh, one of the things that was really powerful when we, were, when we were also there is that there was no speaker. So I didn't know how I was going to like this because I was like, oh, there's no like mind type teaching, learning, birds, this is going to be boring. But Steve Bell was there. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Steve Bell. He's an artist out of Winnipeg. He's done over 20 albums. And it was one of the most powerful, restorative times of song, story, worship I'd had in a long time. He basically just sat in a stool and told us stories about some of the songs that he wrote, led us through some psalms, uh, told us songwriting stories about his, when he was going through a phase of his life where he was learning about the early church fathers. Uh, it was just a really beautiful time. And I thought a few times when he was playing, I thought, I got to remember to highlight the importance of artistry within the body of Christ. He talked about how melody is its own language. You can, you can say something, but if you sing it, it communicates something different. Melody has its own language. And I thought, that is true. And the medium of painting has its own language. And the medium of visual arts has its own language. And the medium of sculpture, sculpture has its own language. It communicates something differently. And both to myself, uh, well, Awesome Chuck knows this. We talked about this last night. Like, I just felt like, one of the things I've always kind of thought is like, oh, I should like learn to play the guitar. But I've always thought, well, I don't have a guitar and I don't know. And uh, 
But when Steve Vaughn was playing, I just thought, I should totally try and learn to play the guitar. And then we were over at uh, Matt's house for a party for Josie, and someone else was there, and he's like, oh, I have an old guitar. You can just have it. Like, you can just borrow it. I was like, okay, I'll totally start learning to play the guitar. And I don't know where that's going to go. Maybe nowhere. <laughs> but I want to push myself into a greater level of artistry to figure out how do I stretch myself creatively. And there's a lot of people in this church, and I know who you are, and some of you I don't know because you're holding back, holding the cards close to your chest, but there's a lot of very artistic people, and I mean art in a very broad form, not like I'm a professional painter. Just you're artistic. You write, you sing, you sculpt, you work with your hands, you do something that is reshaping creation in a certain way. And I want to encourage you, that's so important to do that. It's so important to do that. And I want to continue to push us to be a church that is pushing each other into those kind of artistic risk-taking things. Because they communicate something to each other, to ourselves, to God, to the community, that just teaching, just just the words don't. But I was really uh, overcome again by the power of artistry and how important it is within the body of Christ. And so for those of you who are maybe sitting on your hands, holding back, maybe have started something but have kind of given up because it's, it's hard or it's inconvenient or you can't see any fruit coming from it, keep being diligent with that. And, and for my part, I'm going to f- try and figure out ways that we can help empower and support you to grow in those areas. And I'm talking to also people who are very, very young, right? Like the Hannahs and the, and the Laurens, like w- everybody. This is, I'm not just talk- talking to adults. I'm saying the whole community. We want to be supporting you and helping you. I was also really impressed with the ECC. I'll go back to them for a moment because they're moving into a new phase of church planting. There's 28 churches. They want to start to kind of get on a roll of planting a new church every year. And there's already some of that happening. They're starting cohorts in different parts of the country, especially out east, where they haven't had as much of an emphasis. And what I really like about all of what they're talking about is none of it is gimmicky. There's a lot of gimmicky, dumb stuff out there about how to plant churches and attract churches. And it's essentially just how do we put a church in an area, get all the disenfranchised Christians from other churches who are bored with their church to come to the new church, and then we'll grow our church that way, and it'll be successful, and it, which isn't, to me, church planting at all. And what, everything I hear from the ECC is about actual church planting. How do we create churches that are contextualized for their context, allow people to say, who are new to faith or who are investigating things of faith, to come hear the gospel, be exposed to gospel-centered ministry, to grow in the gospel, to flourish, to find Christ. And the ECC is really taking bold steps in that direction. And I'm really, really encouraged by that. And you should be encouraged by that too. We're not a denomination that is kind of a fat cat denomination that has said, yeah, this is great. We're good. We'll hit it. We'll put on the cruise control and coast for the next hundred years. Um, Another thing that was great that Heather mentioned, because it was very different for us, is she said, it seems like half the people in the room are under 40 in pastoral leadership. And she said, that, I think, speaks well to what the ECC is doing well in attracting and, and, and promoting young leaders. And there was a great synergy between the energy and enthusiasm of the younger leaders and the tremendous wisdom of uh, some of the older established pastors within the ECC. And again, I just came away with a lot of confidence that like, we're on the right track. This is so, so, so good. Um, a, few th- a few other things that I'm thankful for. I-, I definitely came away thankful for this church in, in a deeper way. I-, I just came away thinking 
this church has cared for me and my family so deeply. There's been all kinds of ways, big and small, that you have encouraged us and given to us and uh, become like a, a you know, surrogate family to us and being so far from our family. And I wanted to say thank you for that. Last week, you know, Rob and Carrie, they just became empty nesters. You would think they would stay away from kids for as far as far away as they could, but they just pressed right in and said, we'll take care of your four kids so you can go to this retreat. And then I had someone else from the church say, oh, just sent us flowers randomly through the week and just said, I just love your family and want to encourage you. And we've just never experienced that before, to be honest. And it's, uh, it's really overwhelming. And I just uh, want to say thank you. And it just, I just felt like my heart grew two sizes larger for this church in and through what God was showing me. Uh, and I'm thankful also that as I've talked to people, even coming back, even the few days that I've been back, I'm thankful that we're a restless church. And what I mean by that is I talk to a lot of people who are not okay with the way things are in the best sense of the word. They're like, I wish we were doing more in this area or I feel like God is challenging me to grow in this area. Uh, I was just talking to someone who said, you know, like sometimes I wonder if I'm a bit maybe too much of a Sunday morning pew sitter and and I want to get involved, but I don't always know how to get involved. I want to make a difference in the community, but I don't know how to make a difference. I want to lead my friends to Christ, but I don't know how to talk about issues of faith without coming across as Bible-thumpy or condescending or rude or presumptuous. Like a, and sometimes I think they walk away from those conversations frustrated because they see like, oh, I don't know what the answer is, but I always come away encouraged. Because as a pastor, that's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have people who are like, I want to make a difference. I want to get involved. I want to like press more into what God has for me. I just don't really know how to do it. We can handle that. Like we, we can work on this, the skill sets that we need and the, the tweaks and, and we can pray together and, and, and learn and grow together. But when you don't have that, when you have people who are essentially showing up to church, throwing money in the offering plate and being like, done, this is great. That is, that is a hard place to be as a pastor. And I'm incredibly thankful. That is not the environment that I experience here. So keep nurturing that hunger. Keep nurturing that, that discontent. I love the fact that we have a missions committee meeting coming up. When, through that committee, we're going we're gonna to set the agenda for the next 20 years at this place, local and global mission. And I love that people are like, yeah, let's do this. Let's, let's really think about how are we going to impact the city of Nelson and beyond, not just this year, but in the decades ahead. I found myself thankful for our building. Um, our building's kind of like the Millennium Falcon, right? It's, it's not much to look at, but it's got it where it counts, right? And we're, we're beautifying it, but I thought, this is a pretty amazing gift to be where we are, and I'm glad that people are excited, and we're doing the foyer, and we'll do the front part of the foyer, and eventually we'll do the whole upstairs, and it's just kind of like coming back to life, and I think that is also a witness to our community as well. Beautification con- continues. One of the just logistical breakthroughs that I had, and uh, after this I'll close, is um, I've been str- struggling with small groups. What's the best way to organize and implement small groups? Because I know for a lot of people in our community, they want to be involved in a small group, but there's shift work and there's travel, and sometimes for some people they want to host, but hosting in the home for the whole year is sometimes just feels a little bit overwhelming. And uh, Tom Greentree, who's covered in, out in Erickson, uh, they're experimenting with something this year. That w- when he said it, on one level, it's not rocket science, but it just gave me permission to be like, oh, that's totally fantastic. I'm doing that where we are. And that is, uh, he said, they just kind of do 
Uh, well, they do two kinds of small groups. I'm going to do three. But they, they do kind of two, which is they, if you have a normal small group that meets together every week from kind of October to June, knock yourself out. That's awesome. If that works for you, those are powerful groups that have that kind of relational continuity. But he said, we're also giving people permission to experiment with six to eight-week modular small groups. I'm going to host this group in my home for six weeks. It's on this thing. Anybody can sign up. And they have multiple small group signups throughout the year. And he said, that's really important because when new people come into the church, if they come in in November or February or May and they want to get involved in a small group, they often feel like they can't because the group's already been established. The sign-up was in September. It's awkward. I'll wait till next September. No, don't wait till next September. There's a four-week Rabbi Zacharias thing coming up. There's this thing happening on Wednesday night. And he said, it also has empowered new leaders who said, I can't commit to doing the whole year at my home just for family or logistical reasons. Could you do one eight-week study? Yeah. Could you run an alpha course? Absolutely. I could do that. And what I want to add to that is just adding kind of one-off things. So what I've committed to do is take Tuesdays, newcomers this week. Next week, I'm doing a discussion on loving our uh, gay and lesbian neighbors. The week after that, I'm doing a one-off on the same Tuesday. All, basically, every Tuesday, something's happening. Um, I'm doing one on navigating life transitions, whether it's empty nesting or moving, you know, going to school or... Um, remarriage or divorce or some of these major tectonic transitions. How do we handle those well and how do we process those? And I just thought, you know, between those things, kind of like short, medium, long-term small groups, there's really going to be a place for everyone, not just to get involved and to attend, but also I'm hoping to lead. Because there are people here, I know you have passions, and if I can tweak that passion and say, instead of just keeping that passion to two or three people, would you do a four-week study on this at the church or out of your home? Just four weeks and invite people into it? Would you do six weeks here? Would you run a two-week thing here? Would you run one of the one-offs? I think that's an exciting way to get people involved and to get a a, a broad variety of people involved, and that gives people who are investigating faith or new to our church also lots of ways to get involved beyond just a conventional long-term small group, which still might feel very intimidating if you're new to Christianity or to our church, um, or just Sunday morning. And so I'll be um, just... Be aware of that. That's coming down the pipe kind of Tuesday evenings and then more things like Rabbi Zacharias, four weeks here, four weeks there. And we'll always mix up the, the times to, uh, again, just throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks and see what works. But I'm really excited about that. It was just a very simple idea, but I thought that is exactly what we need to do here because there's so many people who want to be involved and there's a lot of people who I want to involve in leadership. And that's going to be a great way to do that. When I was thinking about all this, this thankfulness, one of the stories that I remember hearing a long time ago, and it jarred my memory, it came into my memory when I was listening to Steve Bell talk, um, was the transfiguration story, Matthew 17. Well, that's my intro, right? He takes Peter, James, and John up in a mountain. He's transfigured, uh, Matthew 17. He's transfigured before them. His, 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 his clothes are, are, are like lightning. He's just, he's revealed. Jesus is revealed in his glory. And I always like that story because the disciples were with Jesus. They were going to and fro. They weren't far from Jesus. But Jesus let them into something. He revealed a deeper and fuller picture of who he was that then informed their journey as disciples moving forward. And that's what I kind of felt like this week was for me. I felt like I was walking with Jesus and following. But he took me to a place and then kind of showed me, revealed other things about himself that really was humbling and amazing. And I thought of this story that I'd heard a long time ago. Um, I'll try and do it without crying. I don't know if I can. It's, a, it's a, just a, 
It's a wrecker. Um, is a is a, a a Catholic author named Paula Darcy, and she tells a story of one of her most ex- important experiences in her life of realizing that um, all that we have is a gift from God and why the posture of gratitude and thankfulness is so important. And she says, I was sitting with one of, uh, she was a Catholic, but she was sitting with one of, uh, an evangelical friend of hers and they were having coffee. And she says, I got the, the phone rang in this uh, woman's home. Paula Darcy said, the moment the phone rang, I knew something was not right. There's no, there's no contextual clues for that at all. She just said, I knew this was not a good phone call. And her friend picked up the phone call and uh, kind of listened and started to cry and break down and put it down and um, put the phone down. And uh, eventually got out that uh, she had just been informed that her son had just been in a a catastrophic car accident and had been killed and she needed to come to the hospital right away. Her son was, I think, 18 at the time. And so Paula and her got in the car and they drove right to the hospital. And um, uh, they went down to see the body and uh, Paula said she was, she was uh, standing there beside the body and the mother identified the body and she was crying. And, and then Paula said, the mother got really quiet. And Paula said, I was looking at her and I was comforting her, but she wasn't looking at me. She was just looking at her son. And she said to me, this is Paula speaking, she said to me, she goes, I'm going to ask you a question. And she said, don't you dare lie to me. She says, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't you dare lie to me. And Paula Darcy kind of nodded in acknowledgement that she wouldn't. And the mother said, he was never mine, was he? He was, he was never mine, was he? And Paula, and Paula Darcy said, none of it is ours. None of it is ours. It's it's all a gift. It's it's all a gift. And when I was listening to Steve Bell on that final night, that's what I remember coming into my head. Like this is just gift. It's all a gift. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here with my wife, enjoying this time. I don't deserve to be pastoring this church. I don't deserve to be able to bear that the title Christian. But I just had this overflowing sense of God's grace. And even now as I say this, like this is hard for me to acknowledge and to talk about. It's hard for me to be vulnerable. But right after I thought that, and I thought, God, just thank you. I don't even know what to say. I just said, thank you. The next thought that came into my mind was, you know, there are so many people just in Nelson. Let's just localize it to Nelson. I remember sitting in that room, worshiping with other people, listening to Steve Bell, him pouring into us about the love of God and grace and all this stuff. And I remember thinking, there are so many people in Nelson who don't even have a frame of reference for this. They don't even know this exists. They don't, they don't know there are places you can come on a Sunday morning and hear that God loves you. 
and what Christ has done for you. They don't even know that. They're not rejecting it. They're just ambivalent to it. They're just in their own world of survival. They don't know about grace. They don't know about love. They don't know about forgiveness in the way that we do. And I thought it's such a privilege that I've been given. I'm a steward. I'm an ambassador of the gospel. And I thought, I've got to be a better ambassador. I've got to figure out how to be a better ambassador. And not, obviously, going out in the street corner and proclaiming out loud and freaking people out. I just mean, how do I love how can I be vulnerable with my non-Christian friends that I'm building here such that if God chooses to, he can use me to help bring them to Jesus? And I just thought, again, just like my heart grew two sizes for this church, my heart grew two sizes for the people who are lost in this community. Who, I mean, there are some people who if they came to this service or if they, they're like, wow, this is amazing. Like you sing all these songs about this God who loves you. I want to find out more about this. I know for us, it's like, oh, I don't like that song, it's boring, or this message is going long, and I got a lunch date or whatever. But there are a lot of people that they would, they would stay here for hours. They, they, would, they would like be, where do I start in the Bible? I'm just going to rip through it, because they're hungry and they're thirsty, and they, they don't know this stuff. They're not jaded. They're not, um, there's been no critical mass of Christianese in their life where they're um, kind of holding back. They, they, they're just hungry. And I thought, how do, we do, how do we do a better job? And then I um, came across, this is my final thing, sorry. Um, uh, just a, this is a picture uh, in a book that I'm reading about how do you create, uh, I, I, I like this language, how do you create a gospel ecosystem in a city? An ecosystem doesn't rely on one thing. There's lots of different things that in a mysterious way all form a symbiotic relationship and a synergistic relationship that as they come together and different things are happening, uh, health and flourishing and life comes. And uh, Timothy Keller in his book Center Church talks about how this is the language they use in their church. They're asking the question, how do we create an ecosystem? Meaning there's not going to be one program that we're going to do. There's not going to be a silver bullet to reaching the loss and to being a healthy church and to bringing that health and the gospel out. There's, there's, no, there's no secret formula. But what we try and do is we try and invite people to be engaged in all of these different types of ministries within their city. Some are run through other churches, but there's justice ministries and there's prayer ministries and there's evangelism training ministries and there's ministries to support the family, ministries to support marriages, ministries to support um, you know, healthy, uh, strong church structures. And what they try and do, and I think what I really feel like I have a heart to do in getting to know people here and realizing how diverse our skill set is and our passion is to say, I don't know if we're ever going to be a church where it's like Nelson Covenant Church does this thing, everyone's all in on this project. I want our project to be like the kingdom of God, like the gospel, getting the gospel out. And for some of you, that's going to be, I'm going to help be a part of teaching English as a second language. For some of you, it's going to be, I'm going to be a part of this mercy and justice initiative. Maybe that isn't even here yet, but I want to start it. It's been, I've been sitting on my hands, but I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be a part of strengthening the dimension of prayer within this community, getting churches and finding ways to get churches and Christians to pray together. I want to create a gospel ecosystem for this city. Now, again, this isn't a four-point plan, so this is something pretty complex, and it requires all of us to say, what's the part that I have to play? But what I like about this is you can look around this circle and see these different things. There is a part for you to play here. No one has to be a Sunday morning pew sitter. There's one thing that everybody can get involved in here. 
And what I like about this is if you get involved in the thing that you're passionate about, it's not the wrong answer because, well, at Nelson Covenant Church, we're, we're, we're only supporting this. We're saying, no, we want our people to be involved in this. So in your small groups this week, as you talk about this, as you go through your week and pray about it, maybe this week just be praying that God would begin pulling together, not just within here, within all the churches in Nelson, but certainly within here, this vision for a gospel ecosystem. where We have people stepping into what God has for them, stepping into new leadership, taking risks, being vulnerable. To what end? To glorify God, to bring him glory, and to connect people to the gospel. Christians, to go deeper into the gospel, people who are not Christians, to discover its glory, to discover its goodness for the first time. I want to be a church on mission. I want to be a church that's about discipleship. I want to be a church that's operating out of the fact that everything that we're doing is in response to the gift of God and Christ Jesus in our lives. And so this Thanksgiving weekend, um, I guess I pray that that would be imparted to you as well. Let's pray. God, I thank you for moments that move us into deeper clarity in terms of who you are, the humility that comes from that, the surrender that comes from that, deeper uh, passion to be more bold in stepping into what you have for us. God, I love this church. I love the people in this church. And my heart is really you're just doing things that can sense it. You're doing things that are that's causing me to um, appreciate and value people in a way that I, I didn't even before. I, I just think there's so much potential here for us to come together and to make a real dent in the city for your glory. There's a lot of lost people out there, God. And as you continue to find us, would you find others through us? And as we continue to work out our salvation, may you bring salvation through us to other people. And as we continue to be overwhelmed by your grace and to try and take it in, would we extend grace to those that uh, you've placed in our lives, God? Help us become the church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.